Thank you for having me. Um, I've been in Spokane now for 15 years, but I'm from Tennessee and I have still not gotten used to the cold. I cannot feel my body right now <laughs> at all. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that when you write a talk yesterday, one of the upsides for y'all is that it's short. It only has one point. So <laughs> the, the topic that Carter was assigned for today was joy and sorrow. And I want to explore that topic by reflecting on a scene from the last chapter of Luke's gospel. Before I read the passage, I want us for a second just to imagine the setting. It's Sunday. Jesus was crucified on Friday, and the disciples were reeling. Their world had suddenly and violently collapsed. They were like children cruelly torn away from their parents with no idea what to do next. So they found themselves huddled together in a room. And that's where we pick up this story. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they had just seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. This is where you're supposed to say, thanks be to God. I forgot what church I was in for a second. 
Let's begin with prayer. Our Lord, we need you to illuminate our minds and hearts, and we ask that you would do that right now for us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's try to imagine the condition that the disciples were in. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and so one thing that I want to do to help us do that is just simply raise a question for you. It's not a rhetorical question. It's not a question that um, I want you not to consider. It's one I want you to actually pause for a moment and ask yourself today, right now. And the question is, do you think Jesus Christ is alive? Now, before you answer, I want you to think about a few things. The first, and let this sink in, except for Jesus, no one has ever been raised from the dead. No one. It's true, for example, that Lazarus was dead and Jesus made him alive, but after being resuscitated, Lazarus died again. And after that, Lazarus did not come back from the dead, he just stayed dead. But resurrection is not like that. When the church says that Jesus was raised from the dead, it means that Jesus is still currently alive. Alive as a man, with a body, the same kind of body that you and I will have one day when we are raised to live together with him forever. Now what I'm asking is, do you believe that? And think for a second, again, before you answer the question, think about the billions upon billions of people who have ever lived. Every single one of those people after dying stayed dead. No one seriously disagrees with that. There was a famous philosopher a while back uh, who came to Whitworth and he was going to give a talk called The Statistical Probability of the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, he didn't end up giving that talk. He gave a different talk. But I've ever since been uh, wishing that he had given that talk because I can tell you right now what the statistical probability of Jesus Christ's resurrection is. And you probably know it yourself. It's zero. For one simple reason, dead people stay dead. Which means that if you are a Christian, you believe something that is above reason and beyond proof. <laughs> I have asthma. <laughs> but I just suddenly sounded like I was in third grade. If you're a Christian, you believe that a human being who lived over 2,000 years ago died. And you also believe that that same human being is still alive. Today. Somewhere. And I want you to remember that the disciples were no less intelligent than we are. They knew that dead people stay dead. And they knew that crucifixion could only mean one thing. It meant that they were wrong 
about who they thought Jesus was. They had served Jesus. They had listened to Jesus. They had occasionally stood up for Jesus. They had left their normal lives and decided to follow him. And now their identities were wrapped up in their relationships with him. But the crucifixion revealed that all of that was a colossal error on their part. And now their lives were in pieces on the ground. The disciples were shattered and in shock, disillusioned and empty, and they were not about to pretend otherwise. And if you want to hear what this passage has to say to us, that's the first thing that you have to recognize. And here's the second thing. Jesus rescued the disciples in precisely that condition. That's the promise that's embedded in this story. Think about it. When did Jesus open their eyes? When did Jesus pierce their hearts? When did Jesus fill them with joy? He did that for them when they were in utter darkness. When did Jesus deliver them? He delivered them when they were desolate and hopeless. And a few of you have been around the block enough times to know where I'm headed with this sermon. And my guess is that your hunch is correct. I'm going to draw a parallel between the disciples' condition there and then and our condition today. What happened to them in that room happens to us too. But before I make that point, I want to pause for a moment because if you really have your thinking cap on, you may be wondering if this is actually a good analogy. You're wondering if it's appropriate to draw a parallel between the disciples huddled together in a room and our situation today. Yes, it's true that they were in existential crisis before Jesus appeared to them, but after he appeared to them, they weren't any longer. After he appeared to them, the text says that they were, quote, filled with great joy. And as Christians today, we live in the time of the resurrection, not the crucifixion, which means that we live in hope and not in despair, in joy, not in sorrow. I mean, isn't that what Christians are supposed to think? More importantly, isn't that what Christians are supposed to feel? So the comparison with us seems to fall apart. It seems like it's a bad analogy. And to that line of reasoning, I would simply point out that while, yes, Jesus is currently alive today, to many of us, it does not feel that way. Very often, it feels to us like Jesus is still dead. We drag ourselves to church. We confess that he's risen from the dead. But inwardly, many of us struggle to keep our heads above water. Thankfully, not everyone feels this way. 
I sure hope that you don't feel this way. But some of us do feel this way. We know what it's like to inhabit the ruins of a wrecked life, to feel abandoned and alone. We want our lives to be full of faith and joy and hope. But we don't feel that way. Jesus Christ is risen, but we find ourselves groping in the dark. And many of us wonder why that is. How can there be such a vast distance between what the church teaches and what we feel? Why won't the truth move from our heads down into our hearts? From everything that I've heard, New Community is a healthy church, so you know it's okay to talk like this. These are not the kinds of thoughts that Christians have to secretly repress. But for some of us, there comes a point when the questions, these kinds of questions, begin to overwhelm us and we find ourselves sinking into the abyss. And the question that we want to have answers to, the question that we ask ourselves is what are we supposed to do now? What are we supposed to do when our faith is hanging by a thread and then the thread breaks? What are we supposed to do when we find ourselves unable to believe? How are we supposed to respond when the lights go out? And it's precisely here that the experience of the disciples converges with our experience today. We find ourselves, at least many of us do, in exactly the same position that they were in. Like the disciples, our need is absolute. Like the disciples, we require divine intervention. We need Jesus to show up for us. Just pause for a moment and think about it. Salvation is something that the disciples received. It's not something that they created. And it's the same with us. Deliverance from despair is something that we pray for. And it's something that we wait for. It's not something that we engineer for ourselves. In the meantime, of course, we try to do the things that healthy people do. Everyone knows that. We try to love our neighbors as ourselves. We try to exercise and eat well. We try to surround ourselves with friends that are supportive. The list goes on and on and on. And we should do absolutely everything that we can to be healthy. Of course, that is 100% correct. But it's also true that that's not enough. We need more than that. In addition to all that, we need Jesus to show up and rescue us. From beginning to end, that is how Scripture describes our condition. And from beginning to end, Scripture calls us to look to God for our salvation, to turn ourselves towards Him, to open ourselves to Him in prayer, and to wait for Him to rescue us. Listen to Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. 
He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the muck and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. That was the condition of the world when God became flesh. That was precisely Jesus' condition before his father raised him from the dead. That was the disciples' condition before Jesus appeared to them, and that is precisely the way many of us feel right at this moment. So everything in this sermon distills to a single point. Jesus was dead, and now he is alive. And if that is true, despite all appearances and emotions, death and despair do not have the final word. Not for Jesus, not for the disciples, and not for us. No matter what it feels like, no matter how bad it gets, Jesus enters locked rooms. Jesus rescues frightened children. Jesus raises people from the dead. That's what he did back then, and that's what he still does today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.